Hello, and welcome back to the People Analytics Podcast. As always, I'm the host, Sean Boyce, CEO and founder of StaffGeek. Today, I would like to welcome my guest to the show, Dan Smolkin. Dan is currently the head of People Operations at Aurora Solar, a platform focused on enabling a clean energy future for all. When he joined in early 2019, there were 45 employees, primarily in San Francisco, and they've now grown to more than 100 team members across the United States. Hello, Dan. How are you? Thanks for being here, and welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. I'm doing great and looking forward to our conversation. So, Me too. Uh, it's exciting times. And before we kind of dive into that as a topic, I'd love if you give for our listeners a little bit more information about your background and talk about how you became the head of people operations at Aurora. Sure. Uh, great. I'm happy to share a little bit more about the journey that brought me to now, and I'll keep it as concise as I can. But uh, I had started working in HR uh, at a tech startup called Quixie and as one of the first 10 people there. So really as one of the first hires on the team that was in a non-technical role. And I, I had the opportunity to grow with the company as we grew to about 250 people worldwide. So that uh, gave me exposure to all different parts of HR, especially in a high growth environment where you're trying to look at a tech stack that's really going to grow with you, looking at building process, policy, procedure, and but also navigating the complexity of uh, running a global team. So really enjoyed that experience, but learned a lot from it. And I took that experience into building my own HR uh, tech company for a couple of years, focused on process automation, around really taking a more data-driven view of the employee lifecycle. And really, it, it was an incredibly meaningful experience for me as an HR practitioner because it gave me so much more insight into what it's like being in the rest of the business, whether that's being in sales or thinking about products or uh, really thinking about things from an engineering and development standpoint. And ultimately, while I enjoyed that experience of uh, working on a startup, I realized that my real long-term interest was in going back into working in HR and taking the lessons that I learned from doing a startup and saying, how can I apply those in a uh, company that's going to be on a similar high growth trajectory? And so that takes me to my experience with Aurora, where I've been responsible for building out a lot of our infrastructure as we've grown from being about a 45-person team, as you had mentioned, uh, to now uh, just uh, actually just over 100 people this week and uh, continuing uh, to grow across the country and even across the globe. So there, there's so much that goes into uh, growing uh, through those stages. Really looking forward to being able to share some of those insights. I'm looking forward to asking you about them because that sounds like some incredible experience that's gonna be valuable for both myself and our listeners. That level of growth is significant. Um, it seems like you've had that, you've had this experience a couple of times. So great person to ask about this, which our topic for today that we wanna to discuss was really rethinking your hiring strategy for this new kind of distributed world or distributed workforce, right? Mm -hmm. So. There's a lot of changes underway, not that there typically aren't always, but now there are some unique ones with regard to how people are rethinking, you know, where they work and how they work and all kinds of cool stuff. So um, someone like yourself and the role that you're currently in being responsible for managing a lot of that effort, uh, love to really pick your brain on this topic about how companies should be thinking about their hiring strategies with regard to a response to how the world is changing, right? And where people are and how they think about hiring and all that kind of stuff. So um, 
you've described already about the kind of aggressive growth that you've been through previously, but can you talk a little bit about how those, how that impact, how you've adjusted the hiring strategy at Aurora around that and uh, share some of those details with us? Yeah, and it's a great question and a, a lot to unpack there. So, and I, I think actually a great place to start is uh, looking at uh, where Aurora was when I joined and looking at where we are now. So when I joined, we were almost exclusively based in San Francisco. Uh, but one of the primary bottlenecks that we were running into is that we're working in a very competitive market. Uh, and there, there's a lot of great talent in Silicon Valley. Uh, but there's also a lot of companies competing for that talent. And while we had a couple of people that were distributed, there, there was a kind of apprehension within the company around, you know, can we have people working in specific roles that aren't in the same office as us? And so increasingly, you know, as we found ourselves uh, trying to recruit, we were finding more and more success and a lot of really interested candidates outside of the Bay Area asking, it's like, hey, I want to work for you. Uh, and it uh, increasingly led us to say, it's like, okay, maybe we should take a look at this. And it gave us the opportunity to start experimenting. And then by the time that COVID came around, we already had uh, close to a dozen people on the team that were working in a distributed capacity. So we were already proving and building out a lot of these internal capacities and things like setting up Zoom meetings by default as a part of a internal event, building up uh, more of a culture of documentation in the company and asynchronous work. So that by the time that COVID came around, the transition, well, you know, for, for every company it was a tough and sudden transition. For us, it was something that I feel uh, very proud of how we were able to navigate. And as we've gone through that process, it's only proven further that you know, people are able to work effectively in a distributed capacity. And where we did have some of those apprehension around, you know, does this role need to be co-located versus can it be working from pretty much anywhere? Uh, we've been able to prove uh, by and large that uh, many of our roles can be just as successful, if not more so from other places around the globe. In fact, that's a great place to kind of go next. I have a ton of questions, but that's that's a big one, right? In terms of you've been to and through and are actively still in this, not necessarily experiment, but leveraging this new strategy that's working for you. For those other teams and uh, HR and recruiting professionals out there that want to know more, can you talk a little bit more about how you either ran or conducted that experiment and how you started to know that the results started to look positive in terms of, because I know that you had, it seemed previously kind of been through a form of a transition to leveraging, you know, hiring more in a more decentralized way and building more of a decentralized team. And then you started to see the advantage of it. So as the market shifted even greater in that direction, you were well positioned to be able to continue to take advantage of it. But for those that haven't been there yet or haven't crossed that bridge yet, can you talk a little bit more about how you kind of ran or conducted that experiment and what you were measuring and then ultimately how you knew that it was paying off? Yeah, and in in terms of how we knew that it was paying off, it was 
first for Aurora, where we, we knew that we wanted to grow outside of the Bay Area was that we were saying, okay, we want to open a second office, but we're trying to figure out where. So for a couple of months, we, we actually dove into it, did a pretty thorough analysis trying to compare, you know, what cities do we think are going to have the best sort of talent, uh, what are going to be the easiest to access, and it really had us question a lot of assumptions for our, ourselves internally. So uh, while uh, cost of, uh, of salaries wasn't one of the only factors that we were looking at, we wanted to make sure that if we opened up into other markets, you know, that there would be a great pool of talent that we would be able to tap into, but also that our executives uh, could easily go out and take a trip there that, um, and vice versa, that those team members could come and collaborate in person. So, you know, we, uh, we took a very research-driven approach when we were initially looking at a second office, and we had decided on Atlanta, which is a great city. I can speak a lot of uh, the virtues of uh, what we've been able to find in Atlanta. Uh, but also, uh, just as important, it was proving our uh, ability to hire people on a distributed basis. So uh, not just looking at a single city, but also developing the mindset of, uh, can we potentially hire anyone in any state across the country uh, that we might want to be able to? So uh, at first, looking at just from a city-specific uh, perspective outside of potentially the state where you're headquartered in, you know, some of the, there are a lot of logistics associated with that. Uh, but there's also a lot more logistics associated when you want to say, okay, we want to potentially be able to hire anyone in any state uh, in, uh, with maybe a couple of weeks' notice. So a lot of the tooling that we've changed internally is to be able to adapt towards that sort of environment. But uh, in terms of knowing some of that success, it was being able to look at some of the velocity of our hiring efforts. So we were able to, uh, in fairly short order, we were able to staff out our Atlanta office uh, between customer support roles and also with uh, some of our sales team roles. Uh, and I'm really uh, very impressed with some of the people that we were able to bring on board there. So that was one of the primary uh, points of looking at it, but also it shows in terms of the engagement of those team members and how well uh, that they're doing as part of the team and also um, collaborating across the board. So uh, one of the things that we emphasize is that we want for everyone across the team, regardless of where you are, uh, to feel just as much a part of the company as somebody who's based in San Francisco. Yeah, that background is super helpful. I have questions about that, of course, as well, too. But what I'd love to do is I'd love to get more, I'd love to get some of the details from you in terms of people maybe thinking about rethinking their hiring strategy now. Perhaps they're in it, perhaps they've already done it, but perhaps it's something they haven't started yet. And for those in each one of those phases, I'm sure they'd love to know from someone who has done it rather successfully. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the specific advantages of being able to leverage uh, a larger talent pool, right? Like not having those, uh, those, I guess, rules in place in terms of like, we're only going to hire around the specific geographical area. We talked about a few of them previously, which was like, you know, if you're in a super high density area with a lot of traffic and you have to be physically in an office and all that kind of stuff, you may wind up having a, a, you know, a, a ridiculous commute, right? Trying to get to the office, which that can okay. kind of go away all of a sudden if you have a, a decentralized workforce or you're hiring people from different geographies. Can you talk about some of the the biggest 
the wins from, from your perspective in leveraging this strategy that was probably mutually beneficial on both the company and uh, the, you know, any of your team members side of things as well. Well, uh, you, you started hinting at it and I'll say one of the things that's consistently come up with people across the team is not having to commute. And, you know, we've, we found that to be one of the, the greatest virtues and one that it's, you know, it is a cost savings for employees, but it's also so much time that people have back in their day. Now, uh, one of the things that we hope is that uh, in an eventual future, we are able to come back into offices, at least on a limited basis. Maybe that's one or two or three days a week. Uh, so people can have that in-person social interaction. Uh, but nonetheless, not having to commute is a, a great mutually beneficial part of things there. Uh, but in terms of some of the other benefits, there's uh, of being able to look at hiring across the country is one, you, you do have a greater pool of candidates to choose from and potentially that can increase or rather decrease the, the time to fill for any given role. And it does allow you to be a little bit more targeted in terms of certain types of roles. Uh, it gives you certain geographical advantages. So um, as, as we're recording this, one of the things that I'm working on right now is hiring for another person on our HR team. And uh, one of the things that we've flagged that's important is actually hiring outside of the San Francisco time zone. So we have more coverage in terms of hours in the day for employees on the East Coast. So, uh, so there are definitely lots of little advantages that come up and especially as you continue to poke, you uncover more and more things like uh, building more of a culture of let's document something first and versus just letting it be an ephemeral meeting. So uh, as we've continued to do this, I've been really proud to see, you know, our internal wiki where we capture notes uh, from our team meetings all the way through, you know, our internal policies, every team uh, really developing a sort of culture of we want to preserve information so that when people uh, join us in the future, they'll be able to leverage this and uh, them being a couple of time zones different from, uh, from me isn't going to be an inhibitor from them being able to learn how things work and what's been discussed in the past. Yeah, those mutually beneficial advantages are just incredible. You start thinking about it, right? It's less time spent commuting, which for most people is not the best part of their day. They get to repurpose that time in different ways, whether it's spending time with their friends or family or whatever they do. A lot of times it's putting more into their work. It's just, I've heard a lot of uh, the advantages and it, it's great to hear on top of that, you know, less people on the roads, there's just like all these, all these potential benefits from it. Um, so I would love to hear from you as well too, in terms of, right? So thinking about this also along the lines from the candidate's perspective, obviously it's a bit of a transition, right? So if you've been hiring locally previously and now you're entertaining, opening it up to, you know, the region or the country, that's a much larger pool that you're considering, right? And you still have the same number of resources potentially to manage all of that. So I'd love to hear from you how you ensure that you're spending your time efficiently and that that's translating to effectiveness, but also like all the way down to and through including, you know, what language do you include in a job description that gives you the best opportunity to capture the attention of great candidates everywhere? Yeah. And uh, all, all great questions within that. 
And uh, it reminds me of uh, this HR role that I alluded to a minute ago. Uh, one of the things that we specifically put in the language there was calling out that this position is remote. And uh, it's kind of funny how LinkedIn and our ATS interpret you know, the field of tagging something as remote because so much has been based around geographies before that a lot of these tools are actually trying to catch up and say, it's like, well, wait a minute, this isn't actually focused on San Francisco. We're open to anyone anywhere. So there are a lot of enterprising job boards that actually picked up on you know, the word remote in the job description and in, in the job title that then further syndicated it and created clones of the job description that are specific to all of these different city-based markets. And uh, so it, it was actually really beneficial in some respects that uh, by having remote-friendly language in there, uh, a lot of job sites are really tuning into that now, but also that we were able to you know, immediately uh, flag to candidates that, hey, this is a role that we are open to people outside of the geographic area and nonetheless writing in that job description that it's encouraged. Uh, so I think that that also gives people a lot more confidence in applying and saying, it's like, oh, you know, there isn't just a preference for somebody who's based near the headquarters, but actually they're looking for somebody who has that experience that's also going to be very similar to a lot of people on the team. So. Uh, putting in language uh, that specifically speaks to, it's like, uh, have you worked in a distributed environment? And I think after 2020, pretty much everyone uh, in tech at least can say that that's the case. Uh, but including some of that language has proven some really great results. I can actually say for this, this one role, it set a record for number of applicants that we've received for any role in the history of the company. That has to feel good, and that must must make you feel like you're doing something right, right? That's always nice too. Um, it's also an interesting metric to keep track of. I like the the concept of, from that perspective as well too. The strategy certainly makes sense. Fantastic. Um, so another thing we've talked about previously, Dan, in terms of everything that we're talking about doing here, which is plenty to manage of in it itself, uh, but the you know the HR professionals and recruiting professionals jobs obviously are never done. And another part of that, which you've alluded to a few times already, is that tech stack, right? And the tools that you use to enable the successful outcomes that you're, you're striving for. We've talked about this before. I'd love to for you to speak a few minutes about how to potentially rethink your tech stack when you're making a transition like this and understanding, you know, do I have the right tools to set us up for success for this, tra this transition which we're about to make, which might seem, you know, like it's not a tremendous investment from the outside looking in, but when you're deep in the weeds, it's, it's a lot, right? So you need to ensure that you have the right tools to get the job done. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, great. And when I think about the HR tools that are in my HR tech stack, you know, a lot of them aren't actually what you might think of as your HR tools. So of course, you know, you think about benefits and payroll and your compliance engine, uh, whatever HRIS that you're using, but it's also taking a bit of a non-traditional approach to say, what are the things that you need in order to be successful and scalable in terms of what you do? So uh, some of those tools that you know, I couldn't live without you know, everything from DocuSign to be able to digitally sign documents, you know, every day uh, chasing down uh, actual uh, pen-based signatures. Uh, that's a thing of the past, but uh, also using tools like Zoom. I, you know, I've had to become an expert for the company for being able to debug and understand how we can keep uh, communications flowing within the team. So 
you know, it's just as important as you're an HR professional in a distributed company to think about what is the tech that you need to have for your employees in order for them to be successful. And if you don't have an IT person on the team, it's probably a good idea to hire somebody. Uh, but otherwise, as that HR person, developing more and more comfort with technology that allows people to you know, work asynchronously or to be able to collaborate and uh, easily come together when, uh, when those moments come up is vital for us in HR to be able to make sure that we're making people productive. But otherwise, some of the tooling uh, that we decided to change was uh, that we completely rethought our benefits and payroll system and looked at our benefits and said, you know, do we have the benefits uh, tools that we need and the plans uh, that really cater to an audience of people across the country? And so we went through an entire benefits overhaul related um, or largely driven by the fact that we're now a much larger team and at that a very distributed team. Uh, but as well, looking at our payroll and saying, you know, our current payroll engine, and I'll omit the names of uh, companies uh, for, for the sake of this podcast, uh, but uh, using a different uh, engine that we knew would scale a little bit better for us as we're working across uh, a multitude of states and uh, really looking to expand beyond that. We've also brought in a global PEO uh, to be able to help us growing as we're uh, most readily looking at Canada for our growth right now, but also potentially into other countries uh, in the next uh, year or so. So there, there really is a lot to think about uh, in terms of your technology, but it comes to you know listening to employees and really finding out where some of those pain points are, and they'll come up pretty quickly. But uh, otherwise, for uh, thinking about the the tooling itself, one of the things. Uh, last point that I'll make there is uh, the non-traditional tool that I use uh, for managing HR operations is actually a tool called Notion, which is a brilliantly simple tool. There, there are a couple of others out there like it, uh, like Almanac and Coda, uh, but these really wonderful tools that are kind of like allow you as an HR person to home grow your own applications. So I've been able to build out custom dashboards for tracking everything from onboarding, onboarding, uh, immigration case management to also all of our employee relations and HR business partner cases actually built out the tooling to be able to support that. And it may seem a little bit intimidating saying it's like, ah, I have to go and explore this entire new tool, learn how to build this. Uh, but in reality, it's a lot of that, uh, you know, it's worth the experimentation and learning those tools will probably come to you pretty quickly. And uh, the time that you'll have saved by investing in that sort of tooling is well worth it because it gives you so much richer data and ability to collaborate with stakeholders across the organization. That's brilliant. I really like the fact that when you first started answering my question, you start talking about there's a lot of tools out there that we use as HR professionals that you wouldn't necessarily traditionally think is like an HR tech product, but it's the tools that we need in order to do our work as effectively as possible and as efficiently as possible. That's a really great point, right? Coming up to speed as much as possible on Zoom and like you said, troubleshooting it 
in real time, whenever you can to keep the communication flowing is a great point. I can't tell you how much time I have wasted trying to get people set up on Zoom calls that just haven't started on time for one reason or another. And all of a sudden, like you said, I go into troubleshooting mode and figuring out, all right, how do we, how do we figure this out? So whatever it is we did have planned, we can actually get done. It's a really great point. And the other things that you mentioned as well, too, that I really like is thinking about them in terms of like, what are some relatively like lightweight tools that you can use to really move the needle and do what is important, but without having to retrain your entire workforce or have a massive software project or whatever. There's a lot of stuff out there that can help move the needle in, in the right direction, but doesn't require as, as much as a significant investment of time and energy and capital and things like that too. So excellent points there. Thank you for sharing, Dan. And thank you for being here to uh, share your knowledge with myself and our audience. I have only two, two more questions for you before we let you go. And the first one is, what resources, if any, would you share with our audience? Uh, you know, it could be books, blogs, anything to learn more about any of the topics we talked about today or yourself or your company. Uh, we'd love to, love to hear from you in terms of anything that you have to recommend there as well, too. Sure. I have uh, a ton of resources that I'd love to recommend. But the first one I'll point to is actually an uh, entire list of resources that I put together and assembled over the years. Uh, just go to my website. It's dansmolkin.com slash go slash resources, or just go to dansmolkin.com and you can navigate to it from there. And it covers some of my favorite resources that I've come across over the years. But I'll say one of the uh, resources that I definitely point HR professionals to are the hallway guides. Um, if you haven't seen those, they've put together some brilliant resources uh, on the recruiting side of things, also for equity. So if you're working in startups and trying to learn more about how equity works, uh, really great things to be able to tap into there. And there's a growing uh, list of things that they're, they're building out on their end. Thank you for sharing. And you were totally ready for me with that question. You've got a list <laughs> ready to go. So we're going to link to that in the notes. Thank you for that. Um, last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Right. You know, I'm, I'm always happy to have a call with anyone who's at the outset of their HR career or really looking for a little bit of direction. You know, I've benefited from some really great mentors over the years. And, you know, I really believe in being able to pay that forward as best I can. So uh, if you're looking for a little bit of advice, I'm always happy to have a 15, 30 minute call, maybe longer than that. Uh, so, uh, uh, just reach out to me, go to my website, and I think you can find out how to contact me from there. Thank you for that, Dan. Uh, it's very nice of you to offer. I will include that in the show notes as well, too. And thank you for being here and sharing your incredible knowledge and experience with myself and our audience. Great. Uh, thanks, Sean. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the People Analytics Podcast powered by StaffGeek. If you or anyone you know is a leader in human resources or talent acquisition and would be interested in being a guest on our show, please reach out to me at sean at staffgeek.com. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at staffgeek, S-T-A-F-F-G-E-E-K.com. We would love to share your valuable knowledge with our audience. At this point, we'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, StaffGeek. StaffGeek helps companies hire smarter, by increasing retention, and combating turnover all while reducing time to hire. They do this by creating a customized behavioral assessment around your company's unique culture. Armed with your FitTech assessment, you're able to evaluate which candidates are the right fit for your company's culture. Start hiring smarter today with StaffGeek. 
you'd like to learn more, reach out to Staff Geek at hello at staffgeek.com or visit them on the web at staffgeek.com.